Burdened by demons not of her own making, she remained an angel at her core. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to Noob Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. I'm Professor Z. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects, but away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards. We like to think of it as learning and luxury. Noob? Yes, Professor? Tell the rest of your class your name, something about yourself, and what you're here to learn about. Uh, my name is Mackenzie. Uh, I am here to learn about magic, and uh, I'm a nerd. Magic where? <laughs> you and have to say the whole thing. <laughs> well, I mean, today it is kind of just magic. Okay, yeah, you're right. Magic with a K! <laughs> Actually, two magics with a K, but... Magic. <laughs> I'm going to try not to do that every time I say her name. But magic. No promises. It's not going to be magic every time. Anyway, uh, with that in mind, Professor Z, what's our lesson for today? In case you haven't caught on, it's magic. <laughs> uh, specifically, we will be discussing the character of Ilyana Rasputin, a member of the X-Men, as well as briefly the second magic, Amanda Sefton. Uh, there is a couple of mea, kind of mea culpas I'm going to do before we do this. One, none of these characters we're talking about are actually witches, even though I've kind of described this as the witches section. Uh, in a bit of behind-the-scenes stuff, when we were originally setting up this show... This was going to be like 13 episodes long. These days, I'm guessing it's going to end up somewhere around 40. So uh, <laughs> it was originally much smaller, and it was going to be Scarlet Witch, Magic, Danny Moonstar, kind of the magic using mutants all in one episode before I looked at that and got the cold sweats and had to sit down for a while because there was no way we could do that in the amount of time that we had. Right. In any way, deal respect to these characters. So I probably should have moved these characters, but having all the mutant characters together still kind of worked. And the second magic, Amanda Sefton, does the winding way, which we mentioned last time, which is extremely similar to the witch's path. Yes. So they're not really witches, but they are. There's close enough. There wasn't a better place to put them. They're more likely to be called witches than sorceresses. Yes, magic. Partially because uh, sexism. Mm-hmm. Partially was... because mutants are also referred to as witch breed. Also that. I didn't even think of that. Yay, I did great. Never mind. All good. Uh, never. No, we're not doing that. Ileana is technically the sorceress supreme of Limbo. She yes. is an equal to Doctor Strange in a lot of ways. But I also could have put her in the demon section that will be coming up in a little while, because, you know, limbo, demons, yada, 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 you will get to this in a little bit. Is it demon or elder gods? All of the above, my guy. Got it. Okay. We'll get to all of those. Oh, boy. <laughs> the next up is the secondary character who will, we won't put a lot of time on her, but she was also magic, so, yeah. The character names are Romanian. We'll mostly be using her adopted name of Amanda Sefton, but she's technically... Her mother is Magali... 
you we you look Sardosh. As, Sardosh is Romanian. My Western Montanan accent is very strong, um, which I did not know until I started trying to pronounce Eastern European things. So Sardosh, and her name is technically, I believe, Chimane Sardosh. Yes. So if I get that wrong, please feel free to write in and correct us. You can find our email in the show notes, because I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Um, but it's there. And then the final bit isn't so much a mea culpa, but kind of my own personal relationship with this. I am a big fan of a lot of the characters that these guys were teamed up with, both uh, Magic from today's episode and Danny Moonstar, who is the main part of next episode. Mm -hmm. But I know them mostly from the later era X-Force books that I was a huge fan of. They're way better than they have any right to be. But I never went back to this older New Mutant stuff because I was like, oh, no, you can't go backwards, which is bizarre because, like, my favorite thing in the world is to be like, what happened before this? Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, I I didn't read these until the last week or two where I sat down and I've been reading through all of the New Mutant stuff where Magic is a major character, Danny's a major character, and going, oh, my God, this stuff is amazing. The, the stuff that we read for that we'll discuss later is probably the worst part of what I read, <laughs> which I apologize for, but it's a huge magic story, so yes. it kind of, you had to do it. All of that going down. Actually, before we get Mac, did you know anything about magic before we sat down and had you read this, Seuss? Absolutely nothing. I didn't know Colossus had a little sister. I knew nothing. That's what I assumed? <laughs> Did you know that there was two of them? No. <laughs> I doubt you knew that until we sat down right now, yeah, to I'll... be honest with you. Um... I'm assuming uh, you're talking about Aurora. No. No. Okay. Then no, I had no idea. We are talking about Nightcrawler's girlfriend's sister, and oh, we will uh, get there. Oh. From last... Oh, okay. <laughs> Day tripper. <laughs> Look, man. Nightcrawler's family is... The worst. Yeah, I got that idea from the last episode. That he, oh, it's worse than you know, because we haven't brought up the girlfriend sister yet. <laughs> I don't know if I want to. Actually, I really like her, but there is some kind of like, oh, Chris, why do you do this to us? Yeah. Chris Claremont, the X-Men writer, like Supreme, like is the X-Men writer. He's one of the greatest comic book writers of all time, but because he wrote soap opera for like 15 years... I mean, it's superhero comics, but it's soap opera. It's, yes. It's hardcore soap opera. There's some bits where you're like, oh, buddy, are you sure that's the way you wanted to go? Um, it'll come up more next week. He also put a lot of effort into bringing more representation into the X-Men. Mm. But because he was a white man writing in the 70s and 80s and 90s and today, uh, it doesn't hold up that well. Some, some of it's some great. Some of it's good. And some of you are like, oh, why did you think that was a good idea? But, magic. Ilyana, oh god, I don't know how to pronounce that one. Nico, Nico Lievna Rasputina. Ilyana Rasputin, I'm just going with Ilyana Rasputin from the rest of this. Excellent. Is the little sister of the X-Man Colossus, Peter Rasputin. Technically first appearing in Giant Size X-Men number one in, I believe that was 1975. Yep. Uh... She is unnamed until appearing later on as Magic in, I believe, 1982? December 83. 83. I was close. Because originally it was just Little Sister, and it wasn't until she became a regular story part that she actually got a name. Born in the Soviet collective farm of Ust-Ordinsky Collective near Lake ba Baikal in Siberia. Um, you have to remember, when the X-Men came out, 
the Soviet Union wasn't still just a memory, it was still active. active. And of all things, they've never really fixed the problem that due to the sliding timescale, the Rasputin family would not have been part of a Soviet farming collective. No. They've just never really bothered to fix this point, which is fine. I actually don't have any problems with it, but for the most part, they're like, oh, no, this isn't... But except for the Soviet Union, we're like, we're just not going to try. We'll just roll with it. Just roll with it. She's the youngest of three mutant siblings, her older brother, uh, Peter, Colossus, and the oldest brother, a cosmonaut named Mikhail. Mikhail is one of the most confusing X-Men villains out there, and I'm still not 100% sure what his powers are, except I believe they are some level of reality warping. Mm. Spatial warping. Mm. He has the ability to manipulate subatomic matter and warp energy by altering their wavelengths to an unknown degree. He can teleport through space, he can tear holes in space-time, time travel. He, they don't know what to do with him, and they solve it by having him have psychotic episodes a lot. Um, similar to the Scarlet Witch, he's not been well-treated in many cases, but unlike the Scarlet Witch, no one cares enough to try and fix it. Interesting. Whether that's good or bad is up for debate. I guess it depends on the character. Uh-huh. Mikhail will come up a couple of times here, but Mikhail mostly exists for when they're not sure what to do with a character. <laughs> Omega uh, Red needs somebody to hang out with. Guess Mikhail's there. Or like, oh, Colossus is sad, but Magic's busy in another book. Kind Time for Mikhail to show up to do awkward family things. Uh, in her first appearance, she's saved by Colossus from a runaway tractor just before her brother is recruited into the X-Men by Professor X. Got this it. is how... I don't think it's how Colossus finds out he has his powers, but it's how his family finds out he has his powers. It's, I mean, literally, if I remember this correctly, I haven't read Giant Size X-Men in a long time. Professor X shows up, the tractor goes mad, we're assuming those are unrelated things. Not goes mad, but is out of control. Colossus, (laughs) Colossus is up, looks all awesome, saves, and he's like, well, guess I'm gonna go. Eliana, at that point, is not really seen again for another seven or eight years in real time, but Mm -hmm. thanks to sliding timeline, probably about six months. She is captured, along with the other loved one of the X-Men, by a woman named Miss Locke, who is the assistant of the supervillain known as Arcade. Arcade has a tendency to kidnap people and put them into murder world. Sounds like a game. Yes. Is it? Okay, got it. It is a theme park. Of murder. Hence his name, Arcade. Murder World. (laughs) It is a murder theme park. I kind of want to... He's considered one of the best assassins in the world, and his stories are always a blast. Arcade is great, but he is the least cost-efficient assassin in the history of comic books. Because he keeps having to make new murder worlds. It's not like he just has the one. Okay. Okay. Arcade was the reason we had Ghost Racers. Arcade's during, got, during Secret Wars. Arcade's amazing. got so many good stories. And if you're doing an arcade thing, you know inevitably someone's going to be trapped in a giant ping, not ping, like a, a giant ball and they're put on a pinball machine that's gigantic full of death. Hey. Like, Arcade is peak comic books. But he also pissed off Doctor Doom and Doctor Doom kidnapped him. So, Miss <laughs> Locke kidnapped the X-Men's loved ones to try to force them to rescue Arcade from Doctor Doom. Did Doctor Doom put him in uh, Deathland? I don't know. <laughs> the reason they're pissed off uh-huh. is there was a storyline. This is not important to magic, but I love this story. 
there's a storyline where they team up, and Arcade lights a match on Doctor Doom's armor. Which, that alone is actually kind of enough for Doctor Doom to, like, kill you. Kill you. But he just rolls with it. Uh-huh. But John Byrne, who was writing Fantastic Four at the time, read that and was like, uh-uh. No way the Doctor Doom lets him get away with that. So, he not only writes it off as, that was a Doom bot, the Doom blew up just because there was the markings of the match there, and that was unacceptable to Doom's ego, which is the most per. I've got mixed feelings on John Byrne, but that's the most perfect Doctor Doom moment of all time. Oh my goodness. Doom, from what I can tell, then kidnaps Arcade for disrespecting a Doombot. Yeah. Not just an armor, just a Doombot. Like, Doom blows up Doombots when he gets bored. I'm not a thousand percent sure that that is why he kidnapped Arcade, but that's the only other big Doom Arcade storyline I know of. I'm going to go with that. And those two teaming up is so weird. After they're freed, Colossus allows his sister to stay in the United States, living at the X-Mansion, because he thought that it would be safer, and he didn't want her to be a government tool like the older brother Mikhail had been. Because the Soviet Union not only was like, hey, you're going to be a cosmonaut now, they're like, hey, you have reality warping powers, we're going to make your life awful. And this isn't just a Soviet Union thing. As a general rule, if you work for a government and they realize you have powers in the Marvel Universe, things aren't going to go your way. Ever. Or if they give you powers. That's going to go worse, John Walker, U.S. agent. Um, When she first appears, she's about six years old in this story. When she first appears, she doesn't speak any English until Professor X touches her on the head and I don't know why touching her on the head is listed as an important part of this, but he, like, pat... Yeah, you're doing a, 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 a physical motion that they cannot see because this is an audio format. I'm doing the E.T. finger to someone's but, head. But, yes, as far as I can tell, he either just, like, pats her on the head or, like, pokes her in the forehead, and, and she learns English. Just babble fishes her? Yeah, which, you know, on the other side, with the distinguished competition, Starfire kissed to do it and learned English, so... Yeah, that's true. Man, why can't I do that? But learn English? No, other languages. <laughs> Try kissing more people and find out what happens, Mackenzie. I don't know. I'm good. That's between you and your fiance. No, I'm good. I'll That's... pass. <laughs> but at this point, she becomes pretty close with several members of the other X-Men. Uh, as we, we'll see in the stuff that we're reading here, she's close with Kitty, very fond of her. Kitty was uh, easily Claremont's favorite character, I think. And so she was a major part of this. Uh, Nightcrawler and Colossus were always extremely close, so he took on the kind of Funkle, fun uncle position to her. Nightcrawler being the swashbuckling Errol Flynn demon guy who worked in a circus was all about, like, yeah, I know how to work with kids. This is great. At the age of six, Ileana's kidnapped by the demon Belasco, who will get not a full episode to himself, but will come up later in our demon episodes. Uh, who is the ruler of Limbo. The X-Men follow. The, while the X-Men escape, Ileana is uh, stuck in the own dimension for the X-Men's appearance mere minutes. Like, she's falling through the portal, they lose her, they reach back through, pull her out. But for her, six or seven years, she's 14 or 15 by the end of this. Mm. And this is the main thing we read through here today. Um, This also happens in the difference of a panel in the comic book. uh, In X-Men, I don't know the number off the top of my head. It it literally shows it from the X-Men point of view. And then the uh, Magic miniseries that we read, 
shows what happened during that time. She encounters alternate versions of the X-Men. Uh, traveling to Limbo doesn't work right, just as a general rule. Okay. So you might not come to the right time. You might not go to the right place. So these X-Men, if I have this correctly, these are X-Men that traveled to Limbo and it went backwards, where their Ilyana got out of Limbo and they remained trapped. Aurora becomes a magician, Kitty becomes Cat and becomes Angry Murder Kitty Pride, which was admittedly kind of cool, even though the costume was kind of weak. Mm-hmm. The others die horrible deaths. I am not sure how that changed. I, I just couldn't find an answer to this. To the other version where the X-Men escape and Ilyana remains trapped. But Ilyana does remain trapped for the next several years. She gets trained by an elderly Storm who train teaches her early magic. She gets taught by Kitty into being a badass. <laughs> and then she gets trained by Belasco into turning evil. And this semi-demon form will become pretty much the dominant part of her storyline for the rest of her existence. Possibly most importantly, though, oh, that demon form is known as the Dark Child. Okay. Yeah. Child spelled with an C H Y L D E. Heck yeah. Okay. Ilyana's story is awesome. It does look and sound like it should be painted on the side of a van, but like a really cool van. Exactly. But most importantly, during this time, she creates the soul sword, which is literally an aspect of her own soul into the form of a sword, which will be used by her and other people over time. Uh, she does have wild control over magic, but she is only trained in dark arts at this point, because for the most part, her training was the Demon Belasco. When your character, when your mentor is literally, his name starts with the Demon Blank, <laughs> they're not teaching you happy things. No. no, you can assume it's all the bad stuff. This will also, during this time, start a kind of ongoing rivalry with Belasco's servant, Sim, it is spelled S-apostrophe-Y-M, who will become a recurring character in her storyline. Off and on. Good for him. Not really. Oh, he dies. Not, not, <laughs> a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> but good for him. And that's some of the least bad things to happen to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, the notable thing about the Soul Sword is that it becomes more powerful with each use. The other big thing that happens, it, it's like feeding the soul, feeding the magic power. Got it. Other big thing that happens is that Belasco is trying to train her, steal her soul into the form of what are known as blood gems put into this amulet. If he can get all of the five blood gems he needs, because Pentacle, because 1980 Satanism, mm -hmm. he can open up a portal to the main world and invade, do all sorts of terrible things. Release the Elder Gods. Most of her soul is gone at this point, mm. or uh, more than half of it, because he get, manages to get three of the blood gems created before he escapes. Mm. She escapes. The other big thing, I keep saying, oh, this is the big thing that happened, but like 18 big things happen in this four-issue miniseries, is that her mutant power develops around this time, because mutant powers tend to develop around the age of puberty. Her mutant power is teleportation. 
She is in some ways a more powerful teleporter than uh, Nightcrawler, in some ways less. Nightcrawler can use teleportation as part of his combats. Mm. He teleports at like the blink of an eye. It requires more focus for her to do it. You don't see her teleporting mid-fight nearly as often, but she can teleport significantly longer distances and she can teleport large numbers of people without significant trouble, while Nightcrawler can do maybe a few dozen and then he's out and he can only go a couple of miles. Mm. Also Safely. Safely. Also, her teleportation takes her through the realm of Limbo. I believe there's been a few stories that that happens with Nightcrawler as well, but it's not quite the same way. I can't remember if it's Limbo, but his definitely goes through. Which is why he smells of sulfur. Yes. But it's not in nearly the same kind of controlled way that it is with her. Magic from this point will be an extractive... I shouldn't use that word because I never pronounce it correctly. Inexorably linked to... The realm of Limbo. Upon re-entering Earth, Ilyana attempts to meet up with her parents, but they think their child is dead and chase her off, one, because they're Siberian peasant stock, and two, because she's now 14 and last time they saw her she was a little, like, six-year-old blonde cherub girl. She joins the uh, New Mutants team, literally just called the New Mutants. Excellent. Which is what I was saying, a really wonderful book, and we will be reading more of it, but the name is one of the least imaginative X-Men names ever come up with. And yeah. the team is just kind of awkward, because it's never quite clear if they're actually called the New Mutants, or just the Mutants, or the tr- X-Men. And it, they don't really have a useful team name. She is, during this time, largely keeping her magic power secret from Professor Xavier, partially because any time she uses it, she becomes a little more evil. Mm. She also is really uneven in her uh, teleportation powers during this time, where she'll accidentally send people to the wrong place, for good or ill, often ill, because this is magic. Magic is not going to have a happy storyline I was going to say from this point on, but it's not been great leading up to this. She also travels through time at one or two A couple points. of points, yeah. yeah. As we said, traveling to and from Limbo is really wild. So since her powers bring her through Limbo, they also can be kind of wild. Yeah, I was going to say, basically, especially early on, it's the further she, the further she tries to push her teleportation, the more off it lands. Sweet. Whether that's in time or space or both. Now, her teammates do quickly learn that she is a sorcerer. However, others like her brother, and I assume Professor Xavier, don't quite figure this out. He do, he, she hides it. From Xavier? From freaking everybody. Um, partially, thanks to her sorcerer's control, she is largely immune to telepathy. God, and okay. Xavier, for the most part does not intrude unless it is super important. He does, like, kind of continually pick up loose thoughts and emotions off of people, but he doesn't go digging without permission. Got it. Because Xavier's kind of a jerk. I mean, one of the most famous panels of all time is Kitty Pride yelling, Professor Xavier is a jerk. (laughs) Yeah. But he is also, as much as he can be, a relatively ethical character. 
if we ever do an X-Men season, we will go on a deep dive of the ethics of Professor Xavier and how writers cannot make up their mind on this one. But this is about Ilyana. Zach, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Belasco makes an attempt to recapture Ilyana by sending Sim after her. The New Mutants are overwhelmed, but Ilyana secretly uses her magic to defeat Sim and has him swear allegiance to her. Now, I do not find another point where he still works for her, so as far as I can tell, he reneges on that Almost immediately. Good. Cool. Yeah. Again, demon. Yeah. I don't know why she would make him do that in the first place. I mean, she knows who he is. When Ileana summons the soul sword while on Earth, an eldritch armor... I just love the term eldritch and how often comics find reasons to do it. uh, Cover her body, starting with her left arm. Kind of predating Cable for uh, metal arms are awesome in the world of X-Men. As time goes on, and the more she uses it, the armor will cover more and more of her, until in theory it will one day become an entire body armor. It also somehow connects to the Dark Child kind of setup going on. So, is the, so the power she wields is from Limbo. Yes. And, he's and the dark magics that she wields, that she learned in Limbo. She knows... Her magic is based from Limbo, but it is her magic. Is the hierarchy there demons than Elder Gods? Because it seems like the Elder Gods put Velasco there on purpose. The Elder Gods aren't necessarily part, as far as I understand here, and when we get to the more demon episode stuff, if I'm wrong, I will correct, I don't think the Elder Gods are necessarily part of Limbo specifically, but just we are dark, nasty Elder Gods, and we kind of dropped Velasco in Limbo, Mm. To learn a lesson. Do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's why. Okay, got it. Now, she's a much better sorceress in Limbo, which she rules, because at this point she has a, um, not parasitic, but a, a uh, almost symbiotic relationship with Limbo on some form. And a lot of times, if she's having trouble beating someone, she'll just teleport them to Limbo and be like, let's do this! <laughs> so rude. Plus, she beat Belasco, so that means yep. she rules Limbo. Oh, yeah, no, she is in, for the most part, she's in charge of Limbo from this point on, mm. except when she's ignoring Limbo, someone else takes over, and she has to go back and reclaim control of Limbo. Why didn't, well, I'll ask that later. We'll ask that question later. Limbo's not a nice place. You don't want to hang out there no. all the time. Nah. The New Mutants, the Avengers, and the X-Men go up against Kulin Goth, who might get an episode of his own. He is a uh, Hyborian-era sorcerer, so like Conan the Barbarian-era sorcerer. And almost all of them die, but Magic and Doctor Strange travel back in time and prevent this from ever happening. Interesting team-up. This next part I am not sure on the timeline of because it involves... The Beyonder. The Beyonder is a character who, if we ever do a cosmic season, will definitely come up, and I will just sigh heavily a lot, <laughs> okay. because he comes from a lot of very bad crossovers, known <laughs> as the Secret Wars. Oh, okay. Ilyana's taken away by Magneto, with Professor, by Professor Xavier's request, to battle the virtually omnipotent Beyonder. Upon returning, the Beyonder brings out Ilyana's dark half, the Dark Child. Ilyana teleports her friends to Limbo and attacks them. However, Kitty, who is at this point quite close with Ilyana because they become roommates when she comes back and is now 14 and they're, you know, at a boarding school together, uses Ilyana's soul sword on her and returns her to her natural form. I thought, I thought Kitty is dead. Is this a different Kitty? Cat is oh, dead. got it. Older, angry, alternate universe version of Kitty is 
Got it. Okay. That kitty, our kitty, is will be alive Got until it. around 2009, but that doesn't even matter. That won't factor into anything else, and she gets better pretty quickly. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Now, I am not 100% sure where that fits in the timeline. I think it's somewhere between Secret Wars and Secret Wars 2, but I didn't actually know until reading that paragraph that he came up in between those stories, so who knows for sure. Amora the Enchantress, the Thor villain, kidnaps the New Mutants and brings them to Asgard. Uh, attempting to escape, Magic used her teleportation discs. So just her teleportation power. They always refer to it as discs because it kind of makes a circle shape around them. Mm -hmm. And the Enchantress Magic's affects the, er, the destination, and the New Mutants were separated through time and space. Uh, Ilyana, though, is not teleported and becomes a subject of interest to Amora. Amora separates the Dark Child from Ilyana and sends the Dark Child to gather the other new mutants and attempts to turn them into basically her thralls, known as the Night Night Gaunts. Interesting. Which also connects the Night Gaunts, also connect to uh, more Conan, Hyperborean era stories, but aren't wildly important there other than the new mutants will spend quite a while connected to Asgard and the Valkyries in particular from this point on. Uh, the New Mutants defeat Amora, and Ilyana uh, sends her to Limbo. Ilyana is then mind-controlled or just kind of swayed by Loki, and the X-Men rescue Ilyana and her teammates after Ilyana releases Amora. The New Mutants then find themselves under the control, not control, under the theoretical leadership of Magneto. During this time, Xavier is forced to leave Earth, and he leaves control of the school under the control of Magneto, who has been going through... We talked about last episode how early on Magneto was just straight up a villain. Yeah. Claremont spent years doing character rehabilitation to Magneto. And during this time, he is actually trying, as much as Magneto is capable, to follow Professor Xavier's dream. Okay. He's still a because he's still Magneto. Yes. And a lot of people don't trust him. He actually becomes a full member of the X-Men wearing a really terrible costume. Sweet. It's a big purple bodysuit with no sleeves and a cape and opera gloves, so the kind that go up like past your elbows, with a big M on it and none of his helmet. Any costume Magneto has where he's not wearing his helmet doesn't work. That's my Halloween costume this year. I would have accepted all of it except for, like, if they just put the helmet on. I'd be like, all right, it's still bad, but... Took the gloves off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it was the 80s. The X-Men made some interesting characters. Like, we make fun of X-Men character choices in the 90s where it's all pouches and, like, bandoliers. And bad feet. And bad feet. That's Rob Liefeld. That's not the X-Men in particular. But during the 80s, it was all about, like, sleeveless and long gloves and, like, ridiculous capes for reasons that no one quite understands. Sweet. Now... Most of the uh, New Mutants will have a difficult relationship with Magneto. However, Ilyana becomes very fond of him and at one point basically considers him a knight in shining armor because she is also dealing with her dark side at all times and uh, Magneto is a little easier to relate to on that side than Professor X might be, mm -hmm. who's generally thought of as a good guy, even if he's also kind of a d He made some questionable choices, but... The Beyonder appears again, as far as I can tell, and uh, purges Ilyana of her sorcery. Her position as ruler of Limbo is then transferred to Kitty. Ilyana quickly goes, 
Kitty is not set up to handle all of this and declines the Beyonder's gift. Angered, the Beyonder kills all of the new mutants by exploding them, but recreates them and uses them as henchmen against uh, the other heroes during Secret Wars 2. Which, again, I am going to say is probably the worst written crossover of all time in comic book history, which is saying something. Why <laughs> blow them up if you're just going to make them again? So the first Secret Wars is the Beyonder summoning all of the other heroes, all the heroes and villains, or the big ones, the mm. ones that were in the toy line being made to like cross over with this, and making them fight each other for all they desire. The second one, because no one liked Secret Wars, but it sold really well, was the Beyonder coming to Earth and trying to understand humanity. But because he has absolutely no concept of what humanity is on any way, shape, or form, he acts out in extremely childish ways and will occasionally just blow someone up because why not? They probably deserved it. Or don't. Or he continues to treat these people like toys. Mm. Which but they're sad. not toys. Mm -hmm. The New Mutants are freaking traumatized by this. Ilyana handles it better than the most of them, but even she is just wrecked by all of this. It's going to take Magneto teaming up with Emma Frost, the White Queen, in another case of... New Mutants is one of the first books to do some character rehabilitation of White Queen that is a storyline that's been ongoing to this day. Okay. But it all started pretty much right here. Interesting. Okay. Her new mutant teammate, Warlock, who is an, a techno-organic alien, not a mutant. That's a mouthful. <laughs> oh, boy. His father, the Magus, attacks New York, and Ilyana teleports all of the new mutants to Limbo to protect them. Afterwards, Magus also appears in Limbo and allies himself with Sim and infects many of Limbo's other denizens with the transmode virus. Why Sim? Well, he's just a demon. Sim's kind of the number two guy in Limbo. Under either Belasco or uh, <laughs> Ilyana. Uh, so, if you are going to attempt to overthrow what who, whoever's in charge at the time, Sim's a good person to team up with. Sim's kind of the uh, Starscream of Limbo. Yeah, that's a very good representation you if you understand Transformers. Starscream. <laughs> Ilyana tries to destroy Limbo by stabbing her soul sword into the terrain. I'm not quite sure how that one works. That's kind of like, I recognize that she's got this symbiotic relationship and it's a magic, but it kind of feels like stabbing the ground with a knife and being like, why didn't that work? Why didn't it die? <laughs> I tried. Or as they leave, and I think she might think they succeed, she was thinking of Professor Xavier while transporting, and she uh, emerges in outer space where Professor Xavier is currently hanging out with his girlfriend, the Empress of the Shi'ar Empire. Bird wow. people. Good for Xavier. Xavier pulls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's found by, or she is found by Professor Xavier and the Starjammers, which is a group of space pirates led by Cyclops' dad. That's awesome. <laughs> because X-Men comics are amazing. That's amazing. She returns to Limbo almost immediately to reclaim her soul sword. She defeats Sim using tainted magic. Sim, at this point, is infected by the transmode virus. Oops. Ilyana takes on aspects of the Dark Child yet again. She is disgusted by this darker aspect of herself and refuses to return to Limbo. Professor Xavier uses karma 
one of her teammates to force her to return to Limbo to teleport the other new mutants to back to Earth because she was like, no, I'm not going back. And I'm like, Cannonball and Danny and Sunspot and Rain are all there. You can't just leave them. You gotta do this. And she's <laughs> like, no. And I'm like, Karma, take her over. Karma's mutant power is that she can possess people momentarily. This enrages Ilyana, and she leaves the team, stating that she would make them pay. Now, getting taken over is rude, but she's super in the wrong on this one. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's super in the wrong. Returning home, and I'm not sure what counts as home, if at this point she's returning home to the X-Mansion after her little kind of Raphael leaves the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yet again situation here. And then bunks there anyways. And then goes home because she's like, well, I don't know where else to go. She finds out that Peter and Kitty have been critically injured in a fight with the Marauders, basically believing them dead. Ilyana begins to believe that there's no reason to fight her descent into the Dark Child until Magneto convinces her to continue the fight against her inner and physical demons. Because you have to remember... Anytime that, you know, if I talk to you about confronting your demons, it's just like depression, anxiety, whatever, what have you. Mm. For her, it literally means punching demons, which is kind of great. I kind of like that. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I wish I could punch demons and not have anxiety anymore. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Ilyana travels back to Limbo once again, battles Sim once again, and seizes control of the realm for what I can tell about the fifth time since she seized control, and we're still only in the 80s here. This is going to lead to some of the darkest points of Ilyana's story, which, considering where we are, is saying something. Her teammate, Doug Ramsey, who had the... Doug! <laughs> Doug doesn't get a fair shake. His, technically, he's, his codename is Cypher, but everyone just calls him Doug. Mm-hmm. His ability is to understand any communication, any language. But he gets put on the X-Men field team. So surprising no one, he biffs it. Yeah. Doug. <laughs> but the other new mutants witness Doug die. They're traumatized by this. And then they immediately witness the X-Men and Ileana's brother Colossus seemingly die on television. In a battle against a being known as the Adversary, who will come up next week... The X-Men seemingly die before being brought back to life. I believe we brought this up in the Coloss in the uh, Captain Britain episode. Yes. Because he's revived by they're revived by Roma, who is connected to all of that. Magneto is furious over Doug's death and forbids the new mutants from ever leaving the school without him going with them. The new mutants are traumatized by the death of their friend, and also already don't like Magneto, and decide to rebel and leave. Ilyana is traumatized over the death of Magneto, angry with uh, Magneto, who she has kind of idolized up to this point, and uh, devastated over the death of her brother, Colossus, um, is having a very dark time. She retreats to Limbo, regains her Dark Child form, and uses her Soul Sword to attack Magneto, basically thinking she was wrong. The New Mutants separate them, and she returns the sword to Limbo. As I said, this entire time, pretty much every time she's going to do something, she resummons the Soul Sword, gets a little more evil, goes, nah, I'm good, returns it to Limbo, possibly returns herself to Limbo. I hate to sound like a broken record, but if we're going to cover this story, this is where it happens. She continuously watches the footage of the X-Men dying in Dallas, decides that Forge is to blame, as it was his spell that sacrificed the X-Men. 
This, again, will come up more next week. I don't fully understand this because I was too busy trying to read about magic. Magic takes her soul sword, and the new mutants uh, follow her to Forge's Eagle Plaza, which is where he hangs out. She battles Forge and the Freedom Force, which is... The Freedom Force was originally the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but they end up signing up with the U.S. government during the U.S. or the Mutant Registration Act, being like, all right, in return for not being terrorists anymore, we'll work for you. But this is like Mystique, Toad, Blob, uh, Pyro, yes. and Destiny. Yes. I love that the U.S. government's like, yes, that group, the, the evil mutant group, yeah, that's ours. Yeah. I mean, they quickly dropped the evil and just went by the Brotherhood of Mutants, but they're still... It's still... I'm not going to... It's kind of funny because I was cross-referencing something about her armor while you were telling something about the story, and I just kind of skimmed through this exact issue. Well, correct me if I get any of this wrong. During this battle, the precog Destiny, who mostly showed up to give cryptic warnings and make... Not make moon eyes at Mystique because her, she had a full face mask, but Mystique made moon eyes at her a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But they were never allowed to talk about it because it was the 80s and so they wouldn't let them be openly gay. Gives cryptic warnings to Ilyana about her future. Ilyana, again in kind of the Dark Child form, teleports Forge to Limbo, as well as the New Mutants. Mirage, a.k.a. This is one of those times that we mentioned where she's like, the battle's not quite going my way, but guess where I have the upper hand. Hi, (laughs) welcome to Limbo. Here's my winged demons. (laughs) Mirage, a.k.a. Danny Moonstar, uh, whose ability, whose mutant ability is to manifest people's greatest fears or desires as like basically holographic images in front of them. That's the same thing, Filiana. Hmm? That's the same thing. Her fear and desire is the same thing. Oh, yeah. In a lot of cases, it's like what they want most and fear most. And like, God, there's some dark stuff that comes up in that one. <laughs> she manifests, hoping to stop Ilyana, Ilyana's greatest fear. A world run over by the techno-organic demons because the transmode virus has been running rampant through Limbo ever since the whole thing with Warlock and the Magus. She just didn't... Magic understands how evil she's becoming, again, withdraws her attack, returns forward to Dallas, and restores his health. He's still missing a leg, but that's unrelated to what's going on here. Later, Ileana manifests a version of Baba Yaga called From Her Mind. I don't know how, I don't know where this came from. It's awesome, though. (laughs) I mean, Baba Yaga is super cool. (laughs) Based off the literary Baba Yaga of old Russian stories, Crazy Witch Woman, Eats Children... Chicken Lake House. Chicken Lake House. Yes, Baba Yaga's great. We're not going too deep into it. All of the new mutants are captured by Baba Yaga. Ilyana, again, teleports to Limbo to cast a necromantic spell to summon her brother's supposedly dead-souled helper. Because, again, she thinks Resp- uh, uh, Peter is dead. One of them is. No, Mikhail might not be dead at this point. I'm not sure what Mikhail is up to. No, one of the versions of Colossus is dead. Oh, yeah, but you know, whatever. That... The alternate universe X-Men that were trapped in Limbo are never really mentioned again. Sweet. That I can determine. So yes, there might be a Colossus corpse there somewhere. Partway through the spell, Colossus appears, and I don't know how. I tried to look, and I could not figure out how Colossus popped up. Tyler, if you know, please tell me. But Um, as far as I can tell, he just shows up like, What up? I'm here! (laughs) She thinks that she summoned his ghost. (laughs) Oh my god. He doesn't correct her. He's like, sure. <laughs> I'm here. And they rescue the new mutants together. Did she finish the spell? I don't know. <laughs> See, 
Another behind the scene things. I don't get to read every issue That's, that we talk about in there's this. There's a lot. I would love to. If I had my way and like didn't work a full-time job as well as doing all of the stuff that we do, I'd read all of this. I'd read hundreds of issues to prepare for each, well, dozens of issues to prepare for each story we do. But instead, I skim like 18 different versions of the various Wikipedias that we have, blend them together, and read what I can of like the big storylines. Crimson Commando is also on the Freedom Force. Of course he was. If you <laughs> if you listen to our word balloons, which you honestly should, it's one of it's pretty it good. might be my favorite podcast we do, and they're only like 10-15 minute episodes. We do make a lot of fun of Crimson Commando because he's racist, crappy Captain America. So stupid. <laughs> but a mutant. But back where we are with Ilyana and what she thinks is her ghost brother, and I don't think it happens this way, but I just imagine her being like, oh, I miss you so much, my brother. Oh, I'm so sad you died. And he's like, yep, that's a bummer. Or like, maybe he doesn't even realize she thinks he's a ghost. And he's like, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> the X-Men were allowing the world to think they were dead at this time. This is a very strange... They were also hiding out in the outback for reasons no one quite understands. Okay. Which might explain where he came from, because they were hanging out with a weird teleporter named Gateway. Oh, Who okay. didn't speak, yeah, yeah, yeah. but would randomly send them where they needed to go. So he just knew. Say, oh, you should, you should go. This is also where the Siege Perilous comes into play, which is a mystical portal that changes... Who knows? I don't know how this happened, but it did. After the battle, Ilyana considers casting the spell again, but decides that that was too risky, as the spell could have made her the Dark Child again, possibly permanently, because it's big magic. And remember, at this point in her life, the more she uses magic, the closer she becomes to becoming the Dark Child permanently. Why does it? Do you know troll hardening? Yes. So it's the same thing. Got it. Is it just <laughs> because she picked it up from that realm that it has that effect? Because Strange uses similar I apologize. <laughs> so, well, we beat a lot of stuff, and we forget about half of them. Uh, um, but he doesn't turn evil. Is it just because she was like? It's because the she, Belasco stuff. And yeah, power there. Strange one, as we have discussed several times here. Magic has a cost that Strange just ignores. I call it the Sorcerer Supreme tax. <laughs> it just does whatever it wants. And two. Strange was kind of taught how to deal with this stuff. Mm. Belasco taught her magic knowing it was corrupting her soul and literally stealing bits and pieces of her soul as he went along. He never... My headcanon for it was she was never trained in the defenses she would have needed. And while theoretically, Strange probably should have stepped up to uh, train her, as we have seen many times, one, Strange is not a great teacher, and two, the requirements of the Sorcerer Supreme kind of keep you too busy to be a good teacher anyways. He should have done more, but the X-Men for large parts have always kind of suffered of being part of the Marvel Universe, but not Connected to it. Always. Like, yeah. sometimes they're half in, half out. Interesting. No, it is pretty cool, though, because when you look through... When you look through that era, especially when she's super full-on battle... I mean, she's always battling the Dark Child, but, like, when they're establishing, as she uses her magic, like, the armor goes and all this, like, it's kind of neat, because panel by panel, her armor gets more elaborate. And, That's like, so bigger cool. and crazier, and her horns grow bigger, and then her, like, skin starts going a little bit reddish. And she has and that tail, too. The mm -hmm. tail and the horns and the, yeah. Oh, it's so cool. 
I was never a big fan of magic as a kid. Like, when I was reading stuff, I was like, eh, whatever. But somewhere in the last year, I've realized that dark magic and demons and witchcraft and stuff is freaking sweet. And suddenly I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, magic's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, I'm wondering why I was never into, more into magic. Cause yeah, as I was reading this, I was like, God, she's awesome. I do feel a little bad, because as I was reading this, I'm like, magic's really cool, but Danny Moonstar, who we're doing next time, I am in love <laughs> with. I adore Danny Moonstar now. And so I'm, like, trying to read on magic and keep getting distracted. Like, what's Danny up to during this time? No, that's next time. <laughs> I'm just getting more and more excited for the fact that magic's in Midnight Suns, but... Oh, yeah. It's gonna be cool. At this point... Sim, who is still just simming it up and being really obnoxious and unhelpful, teams up with another former apprentice of Belasco, the demon Nastir? N-apostrophe-A-S-T-I-R-H. Yeah. Gonna, I, I would say Nastir. We're going to go with Nastir. He's kind of a horse-looking dude. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of demons that are kind of horse-looking dudes, but it works. To try and seize full control of Limbo. After arriving in Limbo with the new mutants, Nastir's magics prevented Ilyana from teleporting the mutants back to Earth. Ilyana and the mutants fight Sim, who's, be, uh, who's become strong enough to steal her soul sword from her. Sim attempts to cut her frickin' head off, but her eldritch armor grows big enough to protect her, and she teleports the new mutants to Belasco's throne room. Here is where they finally discover her tragic past, TM. Like, it's... Her past has reached the point where tragic past should now be, like, capitalized appropriately. Mm -hmm. Like, it's become what is it, noun instead of verb or the other yeah. way around. Like, <laughs> um, Nastir pretends to help the team and tricks Ilyana into giving in to all of her dark urges, transforming her to the dark child. Ooh. Oh, no, it hasn't happened in, like, an issue and a half. <laughs> Magic forces her way back to Earth, unaware that Nastir was hoping for this to happen all the along, and uh, piggybacks behind her, keeping the portal open and unleashing the uh, literal reign of demons on Manhattan into a major X event called Inferno. Wait, he might not have been exaggerating with it hasn't happened for an like an issue and a half. This is actually only eight issues past, like Fighting Forge. <laughs> <laughs> New Mutants ran for, like, 80 issues. Not every issue was dedicated to magic, because there's, like, eight members of the team. Mm-hmm. But if it's a magic issue... She's turning into the coin, dark child. She might turn into the dark child. <laughs> like, the Inferno crossover is huge. Like, part of me thinks it almost needs to get an episode of its own. We haven't had one dedicated to just a crossover. But, I mean, demons reigning over New York, Megan from Excalibur turns evil, uh, Madeline Pryor, the clone of Jean Grey, gets corrupted by Nestir and murders a bunch of people. That's scary. Ten mutant babies are kidnapped uh, and are used as points of an inverted pentagram. Which, wouldn't an inverted pentagram just be a normal star in a circle, or do I have that backwards? You'd have the two lakes at the bottom. No, they have the two lakes oh, at the so top. Oh, so, okay. But yeah. I mean... Also, I was curious if they've made the circle, if they made the points leave the circle, or if the points are in the circle, because those are two different things. I didn't see the picture well enough to know if they made either one for their pentagram. Because in the circle means it's like balance, right? And then outside the circle is chaos. Yeah. So you would assume it's outside the circle, right? Which one of us is the professor here? <laughs> I've been taking Not me, apparently. <laughs> I've been taking extra credit classes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Good for you, man. <laughs> now, Nastir is trying 
again to get Ilyana to uh, become her dark, or his dark bride. Not again. This is the first time Nastir's attempt it, but it's kind of been Belasco's endgame the entire time. A lot of demons want to marry this now 16-year-old girl, which ain't great, but they're demons, I guess, so... Nope, it's still bad. I don't... There's just no part to make this more palatable. No. Um, but, I mean, I well, guess I would expect bad, them to be bad. Well, it's bad, but you'd expect them to be bad. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> it's bad... It but kind they're of demons. sounded like I was endorsing child brides for a moment there, and that's not what I was trying to do. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, no, please no. do not take that out of context. Um, I think we get so the point is they're bad, but they are demons. So it's to be expected. During this time, Ilyana's armor finally covers her fully. Sim arrives because I guess he thinks that'll help somehow, and Dark Child battles him until her brother Colossus, who was also fighting the demons, arrives and rescues her. Now, I'm not sure if she knew he was alive again yet or not at this point, but Peter shows up and he's like, Whoa, why are you in angry demon armor? What's going on on this front, Ilyana? Or I guess it's Peter, so he would have called her Snowflake. So he's like, Hey, Snowflake, some nifty armor you got there, buddy. It's a nice new tail you have. You feeling all right? You want to talk? I don't judge on tails. Uh, uh, Kurt's my good buddy, but yeah. like... You didn't have one last time I saw you. <laughs> yeah, like this <laughs> Secondary mutations won't be a big thing in the X-Men universe for another 20 years. You want to catch me up a little here? Uh, embarrassed, Ilyana teleports away, taking the new mutants with her to Limbo. She finally decides to stop running from her responsibilities and realizes that maybe she should actually rule Limbo if she's supposed to be ruling Limbo. What a thought. Because literally, her ignoring it led to an invasion of Manhattan. And a sickness that spread throughout Limbo. The evil Jean Grey, or the clone of Jean Grey, becomes the Goblin King Queen and almost kills a bunch of people. Hobgoblin, like the Spider-Man villain, becomes possessed by an actual demon and becomes a real Hobgoblin. Dude, that's sweet. It is pretty awesome. It's pretty sweet. Especially when um, uh, uh, the Spawn guy, um, uh, Todd McFarlane, was drawing it. Oh, God, it looked cool. Other artists, a bit more of a crapshoot, but with McFarlane, that was spot on. Yeah. Ooh, a bunch of cool stuff happened. Um, unwilling to lose her friend and teammate, Wolfsbane jumps through a teleportation disc to try to, like, stay in... Like, she sends the new mutants away, and Rain, Wolfsbane, jumps in, being like, no, I'm gonna come with you. Like, I'll, I'll bring you back so you're not stuck in limbo ruling for a long time. But she finds a younger version of Ilyana and brings her before the Dark Child, because, again, time doesn't work right. Mm. Also, this part just doesn't make sense even on the scale of Ilyana stories, but we're going to roll with it. Dark Child emerges from her armor and begins to grow pure, uh, pure light, becoming basically an energy being, and attempts to kill her younger self. Probably because she's just generally being kind of nasty at this point. Mm. Rain stops her saying that saving young Ilyana will bring peace to the older Dark Child, saying, you know, maybe if you save younger you, you won't be this angry evil demon thing. Also, if you kill younger you, big old paradoxes that even the X-Men don't want to deal with. Let's do smaller paradoxes. Dark Child finds a way to stop the Inferno, although she knows she risks urging her own existence from the timeline. She opens up a portal, sucking all the remaining demons back to Limbo. She burns so bright with energy that it hurts to look at her and becomes what is known as the Light Child, basically purging the evil from her soul. She's still trapped inside the armor while the 
this is, or is returns to the armor? The Light Child hurls her soul sword into the air, and the demons were gone, leaving only the shard remains of her eldritch armor. Okay. I'm not sure, admittedly, how she ended up back in the armor, because she left the armor to become the glowing demon light being mm. here. Colossus cradles the badly damaged armor, thinking that his sister has died, but he hears someone call his name from inside. He opens up the armor and finds the original young six-year-old Ilyana, basically erasing all of her previous experience as the Dark Child, as member of the New Mutants. The confusing part is everyone still remembers this. Does she remember it? No. She is Ilyana, not magic. Okay. Due to the manipulation of her own past that she had done as the Light Child, Ilyana's magic form had never existed. This new version couldn't even speak English. She's basically sent to back, like, when she first was joining up with the X-Men. Mm-hmm. The Soul Sword will come into Shadowcat's possession, and the New Mutants return young Ilyana home to her parents, who are like, oh, there's our kid! We saw a weird version of you, but <laughs> here you are. Now, you think that this would lead to a relatively happy timeline now that all the demon stuff is gone. But instead, it's time for some AIDS allegories, because it was the early 90s. But first, her parents, Nikolai and Alexandra, are murdered by uh, a mutant called the Soul Skinner. The Soul Skinner... Whoa. That's an intense name. <sighs> the 90s were wild, man. Soul Skinner. <laughs> has some kind of mind control powers, but they don't work on children. However, he came across a device that can age others. He sought to use Ilyana's powers for his evil purposes. The X-Men were able to stop the Soul Skinner and uh, prevent Ilyana from re-aging back up to the magic form. At this point, she returns to the X-Mansion, where she immediately contracts the Legacy Virus, which is a... It's the AIDS analog that I just mentioned. It is a virus genetically engineered to target mutants. Got it. Ilyana dies, becoming the first known victim of the virus, with uh, uh, Jubilee and Kitty Pride at her side, who are the kind of the other two big teen characters by that point. You know, young innocent girl joined the X-Men, hope you survived the experience kind of characters. Her death greatly troubles Colossus, who wasn't there when she died because he was on a mission trying to find information to help cure the virus. During Ilyana's funeral, he completely gives up on Xavier's dream because within, I mean, beyond all of the other terrible things that's happened to him recently, within the last year, he's lost his parents and his daughter, not daughter, sister, sister twice. and who knows what's up with Mikhail at this point. So he joins Magneto's acolytes. Magneto, at this point, has once again returned to villainy. Ha ha! It goes badly. A again? You don't say. He does it more than Dark Child. <laughs> he was on a hiatus for a bit, but he's back. Honestly, she remains dead for the next, like, 10 to 15 years. That usually happens when people die. Not in <laughs> they the X-Men. Yeah, not in the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> That's an unusually long death for the X-Men. <laughs> The only real big appearance that will happen during this time is that her brother Mikhail will travel back in time with some members of X-Force, who are the kind of grown-up versions of the New Mutants, in an attempt to save Ilyana, as he claims that he found a cure and could alter her DNA to provide it. These X-Force members go up against their New Mutant counterparts, but eventually they are all convinced to allow Mikhail to try to make her immune. Now... I have read everything I could about this storyline. 
I don't understand what terrible planning this was for even Mikhail, because it turns out he didn't have a cure. He just gave it to her in a young form, when she was young, hoping that her mystical powers could form an immunity over time if she got it while still young. So he's the reason she died. Literally, he <laughs> gave it to her. <laughs> so stupid. Karma erases everyone's memories of the event, which is weird, because I don't know of any other time that she has, like, mind-altering powers. Mm. She possesses people. She doesn't usually be like... That, I mean, that's full telepathy right there. Yeah. And this storyline is never talked about again. Cool. Yeah, it's a good plan. We forgot about it. It's fine. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> At some point, circa 2008-ish, cool probably, between 2005 and 2010, Belasco decides that he wants Ileana's soul because he just can't get over it. He returns to Limbo and overthrows Ileana's successor, Amanda Sefton, who we will talk about soon. Using a bloodstone containing a portion of Ileana's soul, he's able to resurrect Ileana in her dark child form. Uh, At this point, I believe she even has, like, goat legs, like, full-on nasty... She, the artists at the time that were working on this made her look real awesome. I want to see it. <laughs> Sounds awesome. His creation has all of Ileana's memories, but lacks a soul, which was needed to overthrow Sefton. Disappointed, Belasco banishes her. This would have been like 2004, 2005. Oh, it was a little earlier than mm -hmm. I thought. Okay, thank you very much. It's from the all-new X-Men Academy X era, which is a pretty good... They make a couple of weird choices, but it's a pretty solid era of X-Men storytelling. Sometime later, a rift is opened between Earth and Limbo, pulling several of the new X-Men. And when I say new X-Men, I mean... Um, the students of the age. Characters like Prodigy, Pixie, uh, uh, Elixir, none of these mean anything to you, but if you know X-Men, this was kind of... The New Mutants started an ongoing pattern of every five to ten years, the X-Men office would create the next generation of X-Men, and this was that next generation of X-Men. They are pulled into, uh, into the realm where Belasco kidnaps and tortures some of them. He kidnaps Pixie in particular, tortures her, and uses part of her soul uh, in place of Ilyana's to create another bloodstone attempt to make it work. Okay. Pixie literally has the powers of, like, hallucinogenic pixie dust and little wings and bright pink hair, and she's the most recent in Wolverine Cannot Help Creating Adopted Daughters. Pixie's soul was again fractured when the Dark Child also steals a part of the stole, soul in the hopes of creating both a bloodstone and a new soul sword for herself, because her soul sword at this point is missing. It's in Nightcrawler. It's never explained how it got into Nightcrawler. It'll come up in a few minutes. <laughs> Believed to be Ileana by the new X-Men, Dark Child manages to free them from Belasco's minions. She's got kind of conflicting things going on because she is evil. She's the soulless dark child, but she also has all of Ilyana's memories. Mm. Also during this time, the small portion of Pixie's soul is formed into the soul dagger. It's like the soul sword, but much smaller, mm. and doesn't slowly create eldritch armor and drive you slowly evil over time. Partly because Doc Strange went, wow, it went really badly when I didn't get involved last time. I'm going to teach you some basics and have this go much better for everyone. After the destruction of the Xavier Institute, again, a still soulless Ileana returns to Earth after realizing that she can do that. 
seeing the shattered remains of the school reminds her of Peter and Kitty, and not wanting to, er, them to see her in her current state, she returns to Limbo. Back in Limbo, Darkchild searches for the missing Bloodstone amulet and her soul sword, eventually sensing the sword in Pixie's possession in San Francisco. Uh, it emerges after Pixie stabs Nightcrawler with the soul dagger. It's a thing, don't worry about it. Uh, and she decides, despite just recently being like, I don't want them to see me, is like, well, they have my soul sword, guess they're gonna see me. Also, she kills Nightcrawler a lot. Only the once. Has she helped kill him the they first They stab, Nightcrawler gets stabbed <laughs> often. Yeah. She attacks the X-Men at their new base in San Francisco, retrieving the sword and returning to Limbo to find that her demon... Uh, hordes have been defeated by Belasco's daughter, Witchfire. Witchfire attacks and imprisons Darkchild. Members of the X-Men come to invis investigate her attack on them and rescue her. Liberated, Ilyana asks Nightcrawler to stab her with Pixie's soul dagger, enabling him to retrieve her soul sword. I guess everything I had just said was wrong. I've read this story, and I'm still not 100% on what it went down. In my defense, it's been about a decade. Which... Uh, now empowered with her soul sword as she uses to attack Witchfire. Witchfire is able to complete the Bloodstone Amulet with the newly crafted Bloodstone from Pixie. Ileana is able to stop her by using Mercury, one of the other new X-Men, who is basically a liquid metal woman. She's pretty cool. Uh, Hence the name as armor. Ileana and Megan, and when I say Megan, I mean Pixie, not Megan, the other X-Man, because, whoo boy, it's gotten confusing at this point. Combine the soul sword and soul dagger and remove Pixie's bloodstone from the amulet to thwart Witchfire's plans. In the aftermath, Witchfire escapes with the amulet still containing four of the five required bloodstones. Pixie's soul dagger becomes infused with her bloodstone. Ilyana teleports the X-Men back to San Francisco, where as a soulless hybrid of herself, the Dark Child, with, still with the horns and everything. She, re uh, she still feels she couldn't stay, but her brother and Cyclops and her former New Mutants insist that she stay and offer a place among her uh, former teammates and her family at Grey Malkin Industries, which is where the X-Men are hanging out at this point. She agrees to try. All of the, you know, New Mutants Academy X-Mutants at this point are super freaked out by her because most of their experience with her, beyond in the history books she turned evil a bunch, was when she kidnapped them, dragged them to hell, and stole part of Pixie's soul. Yeah, I'd be kind of uh, scared too at that point. Back to calling herself magic, Ilyana visits the not-too-distant future, quote-unquote, and finds that the team would need her, claiming that everyone would die without her help. She joins the team completely, and Cyclops allows Cannonball to reorganize the original New Mutants squad. Their first mission is to subdue a recently returned Legion. Son of Professor Xavier, who has disassociative identity disorder, and each one of his personalities has a different mutant power. He's wild. That sounds awesome. It's pretty cool. Uh, if you ever watch the Legion TV series, that's him. From this point on, Magic will become a regular member of many X-Men stories, often doing teleporting wherever needed, uh, and helping take on the Dark X-Men and the Dark Avengers, which were teams set up by Norman Osborn when he was basically operating as Nick Fury. Whole complicated storyline we're not going to get into. She does teach basic teleportation to Pixie, and they start working tag team, because she Pixie on some level is becoming, what if Ilyana had more help? Like, and hadn't become trapped for six years? And was tiny. And was tiny? Pixie's kind of great. Um, <laughs> she also is instrumental in 
freeing the resurrected Cypher from a villain named Eli Bard who had him under control. Why Cypher? Cypher? Because he could decipher any language. I should say at this point, because it becomes very confusing, the X-Men all kind of get merged into one giant super team. Pretty much anyone who has worked for the X-Men or an X-Men adjacent team is now an X-Men working under Cyclops, who will just assemble people as needed. So I'm going to skip large parts of this, because she's there, but mostly because they need someone to teleport her. Or teleport people. She battles things known as the Inferno Babies. She, uh... That's a band. I know. She takes on people like General Ulysses and Dr. Nock, who are using dark magic and her soul sword to try to make more bloodstones for reasons I don't know why. Reasons? Most of the time, she will... Uh, she's doing her typical magic thing of, am I evil? Am I not evil? What's up? They kind of stop talking about the fact that technically she still doesn't have a soul. Doesn't matter. As far as I know, just, yeah. If you don't have a soul, then you can't be good or evil. You just are. Oh, no. She does eventually get her soul back because Legion destroys the Bloodstone Amulet and Pixie and Ileana eventually are reunited with their souls. I'm sorry. That part is as confusing to you as it is to me. Cool. But whatever goes on in that big complicated story involved returning Legion to life after she had killed him, uh, and which goes directly against the wishes of Cyclops because Legion had been remaking things real bad for the mutant population for a minute there. But uh, she says, sorry, not sorry, not scared of you, not scared of your punishment. The only thing I'm scared of are the Elder Gods who are controlling Belasco and Limbo and all the demon stuff that I'm up to. Like, sure, punish me. I spent six years in limbo. Bring it on. <laughs> you got nothing. <laughs> Unsure of where her loyalties or her sanity or her soul lie, he tosses her into what is known as the X-Brig. A, uh, it's a prison in Utopia, which is at this point the island base that the X-Men are living in off the coast of San Francisco. The X-Men storyline from this, from about a couple years before this to a few, to just recently were wild because behind the scenes, the owner of Marvel was very mad that he didn't own the rights to the X-Men movies. Okay. So he just, it's the same reason Scarlet Witch is no longer allowed to be a mutant. We discussed this last week. Mm. So they just kept messing with the X-Men and just, they weren't allowed to have good things happen. They weren't allowed to make too many new mutant characters and everything was just a giant mess. Ilyana was a huge part of that. There are some great stories that came out of this era, but trying to explain it, is awful. During this time, Colossus becomes the new Juggernaut. Interesting. And doesn't control it very well because it turns out becoming the avatar of Cytorak involves a whole lot of a god telling you to kill people. And you just do and it. And destroy things. But this is Colossus. <laughs> um, in the first story, in the first version of this storyline, it was Cytorak meant to take over magic. But Colossus, being Colossus, jumped in the way of uh, and to protect Snowflake, a.k.a. Ilyana. These two start spending time just in the X-Brig together when they're not teamed up, or when they're not on the X-Men team, because both of them are running wildly out of control at this point. Uh, Colossus can't even touch people for the most part because he can't control the Juggernaut powers, partially because he's refusing to deal with Cytorak, and Cytorak is punishing him. 
They do, however, help train uh, what are known as the Lights. The mutants had... No new mutants were being born during this time. The Lights are the first new mutants to be born ever since the return of the mutant messiah, a woman named Hope. If you want to know about Hope, we talk about her in Word Balloons. Just go listen there. She does spend time tutoring uh, Colossus and how to control the destructive urges within him. However, it's not very effective, which is why they spend most of their time locked up. When it is revealed that the Phoenix is returning to Earth, or the Phoenix Force, not like Jean Grey herself, Cyclops is like, this is great, we can use this to restart the mutant race, and the Avengers are like, this is really bad, nothing good has ever come from the Phoenix, and they come to one of my least favorite crossovers, although some people really liked it, the Avengers versus the X-Men. Magic ends up battling the Avengers several times, uh, and is on the moon when the Phoenix Force arrives. Aven uh, Avenger Iron Man uses what he calls the Phoenix Gun to attempt to stop the Phoenix, but instead of just, you know, killing it because he's attempting to shoot it with giant Iron Man gun, mm -hmm. it shatters the Phoenix into five pieces, and Magic, Colossus, Cyclops, Emma Frost, and Namor are all possessed with different aspects of the Phoenix Force. This is bad. Interesting. One, the Phoenix is... Shattered into five pieces and hurting. Two, the phoenix is impossible to control anyways. And three, only Emma Frost is a telepath. So only Emma Frost is, like, basically kind of programmed to be able to deal with the phoenix in the way that its powers are supposed to work. Mm -hmm. But it's already been shown she's not strong enough a telepath to handle this. While they initially try to keep it together and create a better world, they all immediately start falling apart. Colossus is trying to create whales from nothing. Okay. Colossus is an artist. He's trying to make things. Uh -huh. But he's also been driven insane by the combination of the Phoenix Force and the Cytorax powers, and he's just having a rough time. He needs whales. <laughs> he needs whales. So he's like trying to make whales, and it's going badly, and he's creating these weird dead things. And he's like, oh no. <laughs> They're dead. Well, and I don't remember most of Avengers vs. X-Men, like, fine details, but I remember him talking to Ileana, being like, will you help me make whales? It's like the least important part of the storyline, but it's the one thing that really stuck with me. Help, please. Uh, Spider-Man remains behind while the Avengers are attempting to do this big raid because they they went from, like, we've got this to wildly outnumbered. And Spider-Man attempts to take on Colossus and Magic alone. He knows he's screwed. He knows he has no chance here. He just needs to distract them. Okay. When he's beaten, Magic starts encouraging Colossus, kill him, break him, mash him in a stew. Not actually what she says, but I'm going with it. Colossus refuses because he's like, wow, that's that's dark. I just made weird whale creatures that died immediately, and that's a little dark for me. <laughs> they start arguing, and Spider-Man, being like, well, I gotta kill some time, eggs them on until they, become, uh, until they start battling each other. This battle ends up knocking out both portions of the Phoenix Force that will go in respectively into Cyclops and Emma. Namor has also lost his powers at this point. At this point, we're also largely going to dodge out of the rest of Avengers versus X-Men. Except for the fact that Colossus, who is now wallowing in regret, believing that the Phoenix power would have allowed him to escape Cytorak's influence, and knowing he lost control after all, uh, decides that he's a doomed monster. Magic reveals 
and I don't believe this for a sec, I think this is just magic being a that she had done all of this on purpose, including him making him take on the burden of Cytorak in order to make him understand what damnation felt like and to convince him that she was not worthy of his love and care. I... that's a lot to unpack. It doesn't work. <laughs> it does not work if you think that this is like, my plan was uh, elegant in its simplicity. I think this is a traumatized, recently depowered magic lying to try to push her brother away because her brother has been basically the only thing keeping her from giving in mm. to evil. Really pissed off about the fact that he had theoretically been deceived into serving Cytorak and living with this uncontrollable urge to kill, Colossus transforms into his demon form. I don't actually know what that means. Is it is it the, the full form of... Cytorak Phoenix? I don't know. It just says he turned into his demon form and attempts to kill Magic. Magic dodges, teleports him to Limbo, doing her magic thing, and uses the Soul Sword... Oh, it means into his Juggernaut form. Got it. And uses the Soul Sword to free him of the Juggernaut powers. Realizing that she could have done this... <laughs> she had the ability to do this the entire time. That's exactly like... what Colossus thinks. Realizing they could have done this at any time that she wanted, he declares that if he ever sees her again, he will kill her on sight. You know, that's a fair response out of all of that. <laughs> now, here's a part that I don't understand. You know, as opposed to all of this that's been so clear up to this point. Yeah, Crystal. It is sourced to two different... Literally two Ooh. paragraphs in a row. The demon form is a little bit different than him just as Juggernaut. Oh, what is And it? I don't know why he suddenly has demon powers, but, like, you can see the difference. I feel like that's him fully giving into... I mean, that's got kind of a juggernaut look to it, so... Mm -hmm. Even Kane Marco has never fully given into Cytorak's <laughs> rage. Now, the part that I'm confused by is this sources two different X-Men comics within two issues of each other that both end with him pissed off and telling his sister that if he ever sees her again, he will kill her. And I don't know if this is just a mistake from whoever was writing this article that I was looking on or if someone just really messed up in the editing department of Marvel Comics. I'm assuming the first, but I didn't have time to look deeper into this. Also, at this point, magic is full-on sorceress queen of limbo and really live in that best life. She will team up with Magneto, Cyclops, Emma Frost, and a few others to create a kind of rogue group of X-Men of X-Men who have lost everything mm. and also none of whom whose powers are working and who are going to do what it takes to make the world a better place. They're almost closer to the Brotherhood of Mutants at this point. Got it. It was a pretty interesting but divisive time of X-Men history. Okay. Uh, everyone's powers in that time are kind of broken and everyone thinks it's due to the fact that the Phoenix Force messed them all up. It later turns out to be that the Dark Beast, the Age of Apocalypse version of Hank McCoy, infested them with nanites and was messing with them. He messes with them pretty successfully because she tries to teleport and accidentally sends them to Dormammu's realm. Dormammu. We don't want to go there. I haven't gotten to do that in a while. <laughs> Once again, uh, she will spend a lot of her time at this point involved in all of the X-Men stories, but rarely a huge part. During the least popular period in X-Men history, the stuff leading up to Inhumans versus X-Men, 
Now, I said Secret Wars 2 is the worst written X-Men crossover ever done. Inhumans vs. X-Men is the least popular one ever done. During this time, it is revealed that the Terragenesis Cloud, which is how the Inhumans gain their powers, is released on Earth, and it also kills mutants if they interact with it. Oh. Poisons them. Kills them. Cyclops dies. Okay. Uh, again. No, actually, I think this is... Nope, this is Cyclops' second death. Maybe third. Not important. <laughs> it happens all the time. Ilyana it's the <laughs> returns from Limbo to find out all of this is happening, teams up with Storm, who at this point is the leader of the X-Men, and needing to get mutant kind away from Earth because literal poison clouds, which they treat as this huge thing, as opposed to just watch some weather reports and make sure the poison cloud is not, like, around you, near you, transports all of the X-Mansion to Limbo, where they set up what is known as X-Haven. Can't possibly. Whole bunch of protective spells around it to force off demons, yada, yada, yada. But, as you were about to say, it doesn't go well. During this time, she becomes a mentor of a young mutant whose powers seemingly relate to demons. Okay. It actually has something to do with language, but uh, because her powers manifest while she's in limbo, it ends up connecting to demons. Got it. She's like, I'll become a mentor to this young girl and help her not have my fate. And she kind of succeeds. Because when this young woman gets, becomes possessed by demons, she kills her. I say successful. It's a big tragic thing. I'm making this much worse than it is. But I mean, she did kill a child. Yeah, she also does kill a child. It's not great. No. Jeff Lemire wrote this storyline. None of this is Jeff Lemire's fault. He's one of the better comic book writers in the market right now. But this era doesn't work. None of it does. Cool. Most stories just pretend literally these, like, two years of X-Men stories didn't happen. They just don't talk about them. But at the end of this, the Terragenesis Cloud is destroyed by the Inhumans after they have this big Inhumans versus X-Men crossover. When they're like, whoa, we didn't know it killed people. And they're like, well, they were telling you. <laughs> this wasn't a secret. Ilyana returns the X-Mansion to Earth, but it now is in Central Park. Cool. This is largely where we are going to leave Ileana off. Um, she does become one of the great captains of Krakoa, generally meaning that she's basically like a general. Okay. If, um, if the mutant nation needs to set up an attack, set up a force to do something, one of the captains will be selected as leader. Ileana's one of the great captains. She also gets into a big event called the X of Swords that neither of us have read and is very complicated, so we're not going to pretend to explain that one. Okay. It's also very recent. A lot of the Krakoa yeah. stuff, we're not going into much because it's happening now. And it's complicated. Uh-huh. Uh, she does become a trainer of a bunch of the new mutants and leads a team called the Wild Hunt. And doesn't kill them. No. Good for her. At this point, Ilyana's doing pretty well for herself. Now, that part was soups long, and I super apologize for it. We are going to spend a very, very short time on Amanda Sefton, a.k.a. Jemaine Sar Sar Sardosh. Sardosh, uh, a.k.a. Magic 2. Got it. Jemaine Sardosh is the daughter of Margali Sardosh, a Romani witch of the Winding Way. Or sorceress. This actually does go back and forth. Uh, Amanda is much closer to a witch than magic, than Ilyana is by any stretch of the imagination. Now, 
These two were Romani who were part of a traveling circus that featured various powered people. They adopted the baby Kurt Wagner, aka the Amazing Nightcrawler, when they find him as a child and are like, that looks like a demon boy, he'll fit in great. <laughs> uh, they grow up very close and kind of in love from an early age because no soap opera in the history of ever has been able to resist the forbidden romance between stepkids. Or adopted, or whatever. Yeah. It's never good. As someone with several stepsisters, ew. <laughs> they do have an old brother named Stefan, who Nightcrawler ends up murdering. But for actually good reason. Unknown to either Amanda, at this point still known as Jermaine, or Margali, Stefan had occasional homicidal urges as he had, I don't know, something wrong with his brain. You know, just the occasional homicidal urge. I mean, he would literally basically have, like, barbarian rages happen. And he made Nightcrawler promise that if he ever went too far, Nightcrawler would kill him. Which he did. Margali, not knowing what's going on, swears vengeance, while uh, Jemaine decides that there must be something deeper going on here. Kurt goes off to join uh, the X-Men... Margali starts plotting revenge, but Amanda, who is still, or Jemaine at this point still, who's still in love with Kurt, is still trying to figure out what actually was going on. She adopts the alias of Amanda Sefton, which is what I will be calling her from now on, because I did not know she was called Jemaine until I started researching for this episode. She adopts the alias of Amanda Sefton and becomes a flight attendant. She and another stewardess, Betsy Wilford, meet Kurt and Peter, a.k.a. Colossus, on Christmas Eve and begins dating them. Kurt, not realizing that this is his adoptive sister. I assume that she casts some kind of spell to look different, but I don't actually know. Months later, they go on another double date with Amanda and Betsy, in which they're kidnapped by the assassin Arcade, because who doesn't want to use Arcade? Heck yeah. <laughs> While Kurt, Peter, and the other X-Men are uh, dealing with the death traps of Murder World, the women are held prisoner, but are eventually released and saved. Amanda continues to pretend to be an ordinary person, revealing no magical abilities yet. Probably because she was just a normal flight attendant in this era of X-Men stuff, and it was later retconned into being that was her. Kurt's magic sister that he did not know was magic. Cool. That I love the X-Men so much. That happens a lot when you figure out, oh, my sister's actually magic. Eventually, Margali attempts to get her revenge by constructing a facsimile of Hell, uh, as described from the Dante's epic poem Inferno as a prison for him. The X-Men, aided by Doctor Strange, try to rescue him. During the final confrontation with Margali, Jemaine, Amanda, intervenes on Kurt's behalf, revealing herself to be Jemaine. With this truth revealed, she continues to work as a flight attendant and going under the name of Amanda, and continues to date Kurt, just kind of, just kind of deciding that her life was better. As this dating the brother that she's always got. There's no way to make that sentence good. <laughs> no. They later just kind of stop talking about it. Cool. They keep dating. He refers to her as her heart, but they really start to underplay the uh, stepsister part. Wouldn't it be foster? Foster sister part. I'm adoptive, adoptive sister. sister. I mean, Margali just basically full-on adopted. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, you're right, stepsister is not accurate. None of this is good. They do 
ta- refer to both of both of them refer to Margali as their mother, but they kind of drop the "you're my sister" aspect as much as they can, except for when Chris Claremont is writing them, because he cannot resist mentioning that. <laughs> he's like, no. Nah. Chris is a weird dude, from what I can tell. <laughs> he's like, That's the gold mine right there. But again, <laughs> he is the X-Men writer. <laughs> so bad. She will occasionally get involved in X-Men adventures using her magic to help them, most notably when the, X-Men, er, when the Hellfire Club invades Xavier's school, and she makes it look like uh, Wolverine has died so he can move around stealthily. The X-Men's main tactic against the Hellfire Club at this era was, whoops, looks like Wolverine died. He's going to sneak around and take them out one by one. And it works. (laughs) A lot! (laughs) After an incident with the Beyonder, because nothing ever good happens when the Beyonder is involved, Nightcrawler loses his faith. Nightcrawler is hella Catholic. Is that why he has his abilities? What? Being Catholic makes you a demon mutant that can teleport? I don't know. Weirder things have happened. That's hard to argue there. No, he's just Catholic, man. He's German. Um, And they thought it would be really funny to have the demon-looking guy be, like, soups religious. He breaks up with Amanda and distances himself from her, causing considerable anguish, quote. Kurt was later mortally wounded during a battle with the Marauders and left comatose for months. Probably not actually mortally, considering that he was just comatose and not dead. (laughs) The rest of the X-Men go into hiding, the whole Dallas thing going down. Amanda briefly attempts to become Doctor Strange's disciple, uh, leading Margali to decide that this is not okay, she's her child, and uh, come into conflict with the Sorcerer Supreme. Kurt resurfaces as a member of Excalibur, who is basically the British X-Men. Amanda travels to Murr Island to try and find him, and ends up under attack by the X-Men villain known as the Reavers, who are a bunch of cyborgs who really hate mutants for reasons that no one really understands. They're just racist. Sounds fun. She ends up joining a group known as the Muir Island X-Men, which is interesting because only two of them are actually mutants. The others are just people associated with the mutants. Mm-hmm. There's a sorcerer, there's a couple of normal humans, yada yada yada. They all become possessed by the Shadow King and end up in battle with other X-Men. This is a whole big storyline that we're not going into. Afterwards, she gives up super heroics for about ten minutes. Kurt calls her out of retirement to help her retrie- help retrieve Captain Britain, who has been thrown into the time stream. She almost succeeds, but ends up having to pay a price, and Rachel Summers ends up disappearing in return for Brian. Brian's brought back, Rachel Summers disappears. This came up a little bit in our Captain Britain episode. Mm. Kurt and Amanda then travel to Germany, where her mother has been captured by Despair, spelled D-apostrophe-S-P-A-Y-R-E, a a demon. Uh, They save Margali, and afterwards Amanda joins Excalibur under the name Daytripper. Straight up, Stolen from the Beatles. This is how I like Amanda best. She's got a pretty neat costume. It's got a lot of bright primary colors. She's hanging out, dating her brother. We're gonna, I just couldn't resist right there. And being pretty (laughs) cool about life. Later, she convinces Shadowcat to give Magic's soul sword to her mother for safekeeping. But Margali instead uses it to kill every other magician ahead of her on the Winding Way. I've described the Winding Way before as it's similar to the Witch's Path, but literally you're more powerful the farther ahead or the more people are behind you as opposed to, like, 
if someone walks faster than you, that's not actually how it works, but basically they become more powerful than you. She decides that she's bored doing this the classic way and just soul stabs everybody to become the most powerful magician in the winding way. I guess it works. She then joins the inner circle of the British equivalent of the Hellfire Club. The Hellfire Club has different circles on the inside, the white circle and the black circle that are supposed to balance each other. The British group is the red circle. Mm. They're much more magic-based, and they attempt to take over Britain with the help of Margali. Excalibur stops them, and there's a whole confusing storyline where it turns out that Margali had taken over the body of Amanda Sefton while Amanda was held captive by Belasco. Amanda eventually frees herself and defeats her mother again. She realizes that someone needs to rule Limbo since no one's been doing it since Magic died and takes on the mantle herself, changing her name to Magic as a tribute to Ilyana and wielding the Soul Sword. She also somehow basically at this point gets Ilyana's teleporting powers controlling the stepping discs of Limbo through Magic. Weird. Except... In Yoliana's case, it was a mutant power. In her case, it's a magic power. And this is never really explained. She basically just becomes, well, Ilyana's dead, but we need someone to fill the position and we don't know what to do with her. Which is a bummer. Amanda is tricked by Sim, because he can't friggin' stop, into gathering the lords of the Splinter Realms to combine forces against a villain known as the Arch Enemy. By using her combined power, she's able to send Nightcrawler to stop the machine powering the archenemy, and destroy the archenemy with the soul sword. I believe this is in one of Nightcrawler's solo series, which very rarely make any sense, and I've read those. They tend to be fun, though. Nightcrawler's a lot of fun. It's just hard to run a book all along with him. Jermaine, Amanda, gives the uh, soul sword to Nightcrawler for safekeeping. She's then attacked by Nightmare, but saved by her mother Margali, because those two cannot decide whether they like or hate each other. They then aid Nightcrawler together against the demon Hive, who warned that the... Say it again. Sardosh? Sardosh? Sardosh family that a major war is brewing and that the Soul Sword was at the center of it all. Interesting. The Soul Sword then gets into Nightcrawler's body. Again, not quite clear how that happens. He swallowed it. And uh, Amanda gets separated from all of this from this point on because magic comes back. The last bit, which is not in these stories, or in any of these articles, but I literally read it yesterday. Nightcrawler dies. Nightcrawler goes up to heaven. Nightcrawler comes back to life, but is no longer able to enter heaven as a result. Like, he gives up heaven, the Catholic, to come save his friends from his demon father. It's a great story. We'll talk about it later. But that's like the ultimate Catholic thing to do. Oh, it's wild. <laughs> When he returns to life, he does team up with Mad or with Amanda, though, because in his, in his words, she is his heart. They, what's up? Sorry, I know, I know what that's a reference to. And we we did an episode on the character, him giving up heaven and not being able to go back is Grimjack. That's an Ostrander reference. Oh, interesting. I don't know if that was on purpose. It's Jason Aaron's Amazing X Men <clears throat> run. And then actually Chris Claremont writes the Nightcrawler solo series mm -hmm. and follows up. Um, they meet up with Margali, Amanda being like, we shouldn't do this, it's never gone well, and Nightcrawler being like, I'm alive again! I want to go see Mom! I already saw other Mom, who's Mystique, and that went very badly, so let's go see other other Mom. The also supervillain. What could go wrong? 
it seems like she's being hunted down, but it turns out to be a plot by her. When Kurt came back, he created basically a hole to the afterlife. Okay. She's going to go through it and seize control of the afterlife. They manage to stop her, but Amanda ends up trapped on the other side, essentially dead, and not allowing Nightcrawler, because Nightcrawler's like, well, I'm going to go with you, but he can't go to heaven because he got thrown out of heaven and has to re-earn his way back. He promises that you are my heart, I will find you again. As far as I know, she's still dead, and literally not even a storyline later, Kurt is making out with someone else. For a Catholic who becomes a priest at one point, Kurt's pretty horny. I mean, yeah. look at his tail. It, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> uh, and even when they're like, wait, what about Amanda? He's like, I love her too, but the connection's different. Also, she's in the afterlife. I'll go save her. But she's in the afterlife. And this cool pirate mutant lady, literally pirate mutant lady, oh God, it was cool, uh, <laughs> is here and into me. I'm into that. <laughs> that was, oddly, a surprisingly straightforward depiction of a character in a way that did not sound straightforward at all. Um, on that note, that took forever. Let's take a quick break, and then we will discuss this week's reading. So, the Magic miniseries. This is kind of an interesting one, because for the most part, when I have been picking stories for us to read, it's been one that, like, best describes who the character is, like... You know, I picked Young Avengers because it has a whole lot of really important stories about uh, Billy Wiccan. I picked the the one about Clea because I thought it did really cool bits of Clea at some of her strongest. This, Ilyana, or as magic, doesn't exist for most of this story. This is not... I didn't pick, like, this is the most fun magic story I've ever read, but we picked the story. Origin story. Yeah. And in some ways, I mean, I don't, this is not a bad miniseries as far as I'm concerned, but it is very much a 1980s miniseries when they're really starting to explore the idea of limited series more often. And the Marvel limited series in the 80s were somewhat unreliable. They hadn't quite figured out the pacing for the stories yet. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I was going to say this feels like it should be longer yet they were still stretching out the information that they had at times just to make it as long as it was, mm. both simultaneously. And that kind of sums up a whole lot of the... Uh, if you see a comic book from the 80s of number whatever in a limited series, and they always have limited series in like all caps, like they make a big deal of it. And it's just, you know, I mean, they're kind of still developing what that means. I really liked Cat, though, the, like, alternate universe Kitty Pride that grew up to be a cool murderer. Um, oh. Other people, I, I can understand why you didn't care for her, but it taps into a whole lot of what Chris Claremont was setting up of Wolverine's going to turn that girl into a ninja. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, eh, this is, this is fine. I like that she teaches her how to be just, like, awesome. Okay, here might be what it is. Like, Storm teaches her how to channel magic, Cat teaches her how to be awesome, and then Belasco teaches her how to actually use magic, which, as we described, isn't the best thing in the world, but... Here's what it might be with Cat. I'm a sucker for people with ninja, ninja stars on their sleeves. 
okay. I don't know why I think that's as cool as it is. Like, it's the, like, eight-year-old in me. Heck yeah. So what did you... What Did you have any thoughts reading this? This is kind of unlike anything we've had you read before. It took, I think, until the second... The second part, the second issue, uh, where I was like, oh, okay, so this is, this is like, in between what was happening with the X-Men waiting at the portal for her. And it's taking, like, seven years for her to get through here. Uh, I found it was confusing at first with, like, trying to figure out, like, the parallel, like, these this version of them is dead, but she's not. And then that version of her is dead, but they're not. And they mixed up in the middle. Yeah, um, I do apologize. I haven't I hadn't read this series before, so I kind of apologize for that. I thought, on some level, that this was going to be a relatively, like, intro-friendly thing, because it is the beginning of it all. Mm. But I don't really think it was. <laughs> also, why didn't Aurora become magic if she had beaten uh, Blasco? Belasco? Belasco? I don't know. Like, she... We see her... Well, I guess he does explain it wasn't actually him. It was, like, her... It was her uh, innocence. But, like, she became extremely powerful. So why didn't she become magic? That's a good question. <laughs> Wait, wait, when, when did she beat? So they talk about, because this Aurora... Are you talking about when Youngstorm beat him? Yes. Because Youngstorm didn't beat him. It was her innocence. Well, yeah, yeah. She, she didn't beat him. That was the whole point was of that story was he was casting an illusion because she stabs him and he's just like, ha, 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 don't you remember where we're at? We're at Limbo and I can do this, that, and the other thing. But she also was extremely powerful. Like She carved out that entire area in Limbo that's just hers. Yeah. yeah, she could manipulate Limbo, but she couldn't control it in the same way. And what she made, which might be better, might be worse, it's hard to say, is uh, she made life. She made an acorn. She made something non-aggressive. Mm. Ilyana made a sword. After trying to make an acorn like a Oh, a bunch times. of times. She killed a bunch of things trying to do it. But Ilyana... Stabbed it. Made stuff that she could stab a guy, which can actually, like, defeat Belasco. Storm resisted more giving in to the darker impulses and never quite... Because Ilyana, on some level, defeated Belasco by becoming Belasco, even though she mostly rejected it. Mm. Storm rejected it a lot faster and a lot stronger, mm. I think. No, Storm gave in. That was the problem. Oh, Storm gave... Okay. I read this yesterday. Oh, because that... Cause when Storm gave teaching, in and stabbed him to death. Or but that show. wasn't him. No. That's why when... Uh, but oh my God, Eliana actually resisted. Because Eliana points so at Storm, like, your book. crystal is bigger than my crystal. She's like, nope, we're done. We're done talking about it. <laughs> <sighs> Literally, I read this yesterday. That's right. It has been like 12 hours, and I was 100% wrong right there. <laughs> And that's not the storm that she, when you're telling us when she interacts with the other storm from the other timeline, she stabs this storm to death to free her from Belasco instead of, like, tormenting her soul forever. So that's, that's a whole different, like... No, I think that's just second storm. I don't think that's the third one. <laughs> yeah, the, the, from the other timeline. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I misunderstood what you were saying. Oh, you're good. Because uh, this is already confusing. Yes, this is not... But did, do all storms go through that? Is that an art story for Storm? No, because our Storm, as far as I'm aware, and again, I have not read the issue that this tied in way more deeply than I thought it did. 
I don't think our storm ever trains to become a sorceress under Belasco. Got it. Because they managed to escape Limbo. But their Elianas died. And then... Because okay, we see... I'm going the... to try to... I'm going to try to talk through this, and people mm. correct me if I'm wrong. A version of the X-Men go into Limbo. They try to escape, but only Ilyana succeeds and possibly dies in the process. I'm not... But that Ilyana is gone. These X-Men mostly die, except for Kitty Pride and Storm. Storm trains to become a sorceress under Belasco. It doesn't go well. Kitty Pride gets partially changed into a demon and then later fully changed into a cat demon. Because that the, that Storm mentioned she had to hunt, help hunt down the rest of those X-Men and kill them. Yeah, it, things go real dark. Mm-hmm. Another timeline X-Men come in. They manage to escape, but their Ilyana remains trapped. Mm. And she is the one that goes through the six years or so dealing yes. with the storm from, let's call it Parallel Reality 1. Mm-hmm. Before eventually all of the people from Parallel Reality 1 die one way or another, mostly through stabbings. A lot of stabbings. Ilyana is about to give in, fully open up the portal, doesn't, seizes control of hell. Or Limbo. Limbo. Which, is that connected to hell? Because he mentions he was put there, and the other gods let him stay there to figure out his own way out. Limbo is separate from hell, but it is a hell dimension. Got it. You you have to remember, and I... This is complicated. There is hell with two L's. There's hell with one L. There's the underworld of, like, the Greek gods or the Roman gods. The like underworld pantheon. Pluto or Hades, but it's generally used as Pluto. There is actual heaven. There is limbo. Limbo doesn't tend to take the undead in the way that a lot of others, though. It's just a demon realm. Oh, and there's the dark dimension, which is a splinter realm of hell. That's why they will often refer to the hells as the splinter realms. And that's why when they mm-hmm. opened that, the dark portal, when we were reading about Captain Britain, you see some of the dark dimension people come out with demons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And demons come from... All of the above there. Yeah, they're kind of like cockroaches. <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> so where were we at? What were we still trying to figure Failing out? Failing to explain this book for the most part. Um, I thought I understood it until we started talking about it. No, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the big mess up was that, like, no, Young Storm didn't kill Belasco. It was a young storm screwed up. She did exactly what Belasco wanted her to do. Which is why she couldn't rule. Yes. Got it. Okay. Because at the end part, she doesn't. Uh, Ileana doesn't. Right. Ileana is like, this is exactly what Youngstorm did, and I saw what happened there, so I'm not going to do, not do, do that. that. Okay, yes. Got it. Ooh. Like many things involving demons, it's weird and complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I actually really dug this a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, the atmosphere it sets up and the... Uh, the reading you have when you're like experiencing her torture through those four years training under Belasco, it gives you that really impressive feeling of like, I don't want to do this, but I enjoy it. And there's someone enabling me to do this. It gives that whole dynamic. You like, you can like taste her, like hatred of it the entire time. That, that slow, what Belasco says something about it, that line between love and hate being super thin. And you haven't decided yet. Now he says that. But it's not love. It's he literally stole part of her soul and he keeps poking it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. 
But that's as close as a demon is going to get to understanding love, oh, I guess. Also, the first confrontation that Aurora has with her, with Ileana's like, inner demon, and she like she's riding the horse out of that dark castle. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Tries to strangle her with the whip. That was so cool. <laughs> it is interesting to look at references, like visual references of hell or things like that from like the 80s. Because they hadn't quite moved past some of the, like, early 20th century, almost back down to, like, Victorian England versions of hell, of, like, you know, the the red horns and the... The, the dark steed. Today it looks much goofier version of hell, while, like, if we do it today, they've got, like, full glowing eyes and they look far beyond human and they're, you know, hidden in shadows most of the time and brimstone's coming out of, like, just the visual language... In, at least in comic books, for hell has completely changed. It kind of struck me like uh, like first and second edition D and D books when you're reading through and all the art they have there, like the castle and like the the weapons and everything like that. It like had a similar vibe to that. I don't think this is quite what it is, but at least for comics, it feels like pre Todd McFarlane spawn and post Todd McFarlane's spawn. Yeah. Hmm. And I think it was just him. I'm, I'm, I do not want to give that much credit to Todd McFarlane, but I feel like he well, kind of especially because ta- it was Greg Capullo doing doing a lot of that work well, at a certain I mean, point uh, within like ten issues, but even those early ones. Um, well, Capullo started doing the work before he started getting credit for it uh, because fair. of his relationship with McFarlane and the fact that they were cool with it. Capullo was so much cooler than McFarlane, um, but <laughs> that's a different podcast. Uh, but they were kind of tapping into the zeitgeist of how there's something in the satanic panic of the, like, the late 80s, early 90s that how we view hell and how we were willing to depict things just shifted in a way that it hadn't quite in this book. Yeah. It would within a couple of years. But like Belasco is not a very intimidating looking man. No. If he were created today, he'd be like 12 feet tall and have like a helmet. He never struck me as extremely powerful, though. Like, he was, he can't escape Limbo on his own. And he's just a conduit for a bigger presence to be there. He's training people who are physically stronger than him every time. He's also wildly outpowering them the whole time, though. Like, he is until the solid end. middle management when it comes to hell. But being a solid middle management when it comes to hell is nothing to sneeze at still. You know, there is something I miss from the more, like, 70s, 80s comic adaptations of Hell, and it's things are kind of lumpier and grimier. Like, they're uglier. Yeah. Yeah. You're right that, like, things now are more fearsome, but they fearsome, tend to dark be... dark and cool, while before it was kind of, like, gross and... Well, they also tend to be more streamlined these days, which usually means that like 80% of the time it's some sort of humanoid. Whereas back in the day, it was a lot more likely to have really, really weird looking demons from time to time that were kind of just like lumpy and like unsymmetrical and like we saw a weird elephant aardvark <clears throat> thing for a frame there and how it looked really cool. Yeah, it, a lot of stuff looks like it would fit in a Hieronymus Bosch painting. I'm really looking forward to the hell section that we have coming up uh, eventually in this podcast because we're going to, we will read several eras of this kind of stuff. So we're going to see all sorts of demons. Belasco looks like he would fit in with Damien Hellstrom, Son of Satan. Yes, 100%. And Dark Child, admittedly, I like the more recent depictions of Dark Child better where she's got the full goat legs and like mm-hmm. full demon stuff and looks like she would fit in like 
the Darksiders video games or like the Hades video game, but she still looks kind of cool here. Yeah. And I do modern depictions of the soul sword almost look like the buster sword from, um, seven from final fantasy seven. Yeah. It's become this giant lump of metal. I will take the old school, almost more like a rapier soul sword or a saber or sabers. Yeah. Much better. Any day of the week. And I'm not even a big rapier or saber fan. They just, <laughs> I am. <laughs> they're usable. They are. Like <laughs> once again, I'm just more and more curious how they're going to work this into midnight suns. Oh yeah. That's very fair. Is she going to have a mechanic where the longer uh, a fight goes, she gets more of the armor and stuff. That would be dope. That'd be that is cool. something that's largely been abandoned from her storyline that I would really love to see more of. These days, she's much more in control of her sorceress powers, which is fine. But, I mean, because it's kind of nice not to have her turn into the Dark Child every five to ten issues. Mm. But also, it hasn't happened in like ten years now. It's freaking time. Mm-hmm. I agree. I don't know, like, I do have to say, I'm kind of a sucker for, like, the weird, like, somebody disappears for a split second, but it turns out they were actually going and becoming a super awesome person for, like, eight years of their own time type sci-fi story, so. um, I really love this choice Claremont made. I just think this book only about half lands what he was attempting to do. I think, like I said, my biggest critique is, like, the pacing is so weird and more could easily have been done like this really i honestly think it could be a way longer miniseries you like you could do about 12 i think, I think you could do 12 and, like, and really not dive into it but they could have easily fleshed out when she was training with aurora and with cat well there was just some weird segments especially with aurora where it was like cool i'm gonna meditate on opening up myself up to magic for two pages it's three weird. years passed <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so weird and again limbo time is already weird and magic the whole thing is going on but like it is eh. i think i think if i was trying like in the future if i'm ever like you would super like magic read a book to win you over this is not the book i would start someone off with but if you are interested in magic after listening to this episode and you want to start somewhere, there's worse places to start than this. This is like a good second story. Like you you'd recommend a different story to get them hooked and be like, this is where the character started. Now here's all the back info for when you move forward. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't know if I have a first story for Ilyana. Maybe that... And God, I almost went with this and said that new X-Men Academy X story where they get dragged to hell and they're like, that's magic. That's Colossus' sister. <laughs> what the hell? But even that, that is a wild shift. And it's that book isn't so much about Ilyana mm-hmm. as all those poor traumatized mutant babies. <laughs> it would have happened eventually. It's fine. Ilyana is like the Scarlet Witch. But Ilyana never got a, ser- a like 15-issue series by James Robinson defining the character for the modern age. That's fine. They should do that. They could even use the same artist table. I don't care. <laughs> the art for that last Scarlet Witch book was amazing. You could do. I do think it's time for them to upgrade Ilyana's recent design. She's had the same design for about the last decade. For years, she tended to wear the traditional X-Men outfit, but with little bits of armor. 
It was fine. It wasn't outstanding, but it looked good. These days, she tends to wear a black... It's bigger than a bikini, but it's still like a two-piece swimsuit with a big circle out of the boob area. She's got the boob window, and she's got a kind of crown thing with some, like... They're not horns, but weird shapes coming out of, and she's got a buster sword. It's not a bad look, but it's... It still looks more comfortable than Cat's look in what we read. That yeah, was, that was a very look. I I grew up like ingesting all like my all of my early media was early nineties when like the super weird high waisted bikinis were still a thing, but that cut was so high that it was almost hitting her armpits, and it just did not look right. No, it looked weird. <laughs> When you get that side view, I'm like, what the heck are you wearing? <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? <laughs> oh, and in some versions of her modern one, she has boots that are so high that they're almost pants. And like at that point, just put on some freaking pants. It looks like the berserk sword. I will take your word for it on that front. Um, I will say, and this didn't come up. It is argued that the reason that the sword changed is because of her experience with the Phoenix Force. Interesting. Because before, it still looked like a saber mm. until she encountered the Phoenix Force. And afterwards, it started to look like a relic sword from the Shire Empire called the Sword of the Phoenix, which was a big-ass sword that actually had a small shard of the Phoenix Force trapped within it. Interesting. Uh, think of, did you read Dresden Files? I All of them, yes. The, like the Swords of the Cross, except instead of Angry Jesus Nails, with Phoenix Feather. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you could do both. <laughs> the Sword of the Phoenix Cross sounds like something straight out of Final Fantasy, so <laughs> yes, yeah, I guess you. so. I'm done with that. Having read a story with some of the super gigantic jerk Shire gods, like, a holy weapon of theirs could be really interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Also, they're giant jerks. Oh, yeah. Even for gods. I mean, the Shire are Are jerks. jerks. (laughs) Even Lilandra, Professor Xavier's, like, some off and on again, off again Mm -hmm. Empress girlfriend. She's difficult. Kind of a jerk sometimes. I kind of like her. In the New Mutants book that I was reading leading up to this, she's just hanging out with Professor X. She's, like, abdicated the throne and hanging out, being like, hey, what's up, buddy? Like, I'm I'm just going to... Oh look, it's the new mutants. Um, is I made is she in like is she in like street clothes at that point, yeah. or is it still her like normal look? No, she's just wearing like jeans and a sweater. Oh, okay, that's even weirder. <laughs> <laughs> she's wearing like jeans and a sweater, and she's like, "What's up? I'm Empress Lalandra of the Shire. Have some cocoa. There's soup for you inside. It's cold outside." <laughs> and the new mutants are like, "That's an alien. <laughs> she's talking to us." An alien empress who's making out with our professor and she made us cocoa. I don't know how to deal with this. Also, why is our professor dating an alien? Yeah, because <laughs> I I almost exclusively think of her with either the the silver armor or like the hair that is shaped like the silver armor. Oh no, she still has the oh, hair. Oh, she's still going having on. the hair she's going. Still, the Shire have this weird because they're bird people, they have feathers instead of hair. Mm-hmm. But it forms this weird, like, how the hell do you describe that, Tyler? I'm just going to show a picture. <laughs> just Google Shire. It's S-H-I it's apostrophe A-R. Whoa. <laughs> That's amazing. 
Except for sometimes when they have what looks like people hair or feathers. Yeah, because she definitely rocks some people hair every now and then. It's from the victims she has. She's and when she goes out into the normal person world, she's just wearing like, it's not quite a turban. It's, and it's <laughs> like really close. Okay. Weird rich girl stuff. Um, it's kind of a wimple, but not quite. Yeah, that's actually closer than the turban is. Um, do we have anything else to say about the reading before we... Questions, comments, concerns? Um, no, I'm good. Cool. Next time, we will be tackling primarily Danny Moonstar, uh, a fellow member of the New Mutants, a.k.a. Mirage. She has like six different names. She mostly just goes by Danny Moonstar, though, so that's the main one we'll be using. And we will be reading New Mutants 18 through 20 of the Volume 1 series, the infamous Demon Bear Saga. This is one of the most famous X-Men stories ever written, and it was an inspiration... I don't know how much because I haven't seen it, but it was an inspiration for the new Mutants movie that finally was released last year. I still need to watch it. We're going to for this podcast, I think. I know. This, the first page of this has been described as one of the uh, pages that changed comics forever. But that is something we will discuss next time. We will also be discussing a little bit about Forge, the uh, techno guy who is also a shaman. We'll talk about it next time. Cheyenne it's a whole Technomancer. Thing. He's awesome. Uh, that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the daily game of cribbage starts soon. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Noob Island. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.